0: Rob.
1: hey sarah guess what it's snowing outside i
0: know i know it's not it's starting to lay we haven't got much at the moment have we no, but I know, I know in other parts of the country it's like several inches yeah, no, which it's... i'm very jealous about to have to say i'm i'm i was all prepared to, to uh, build my snowman there's a song about that i'm frozen <laughs> obviously <laughs> <laughs> they don't wanna build a snowman. <laughs> exactly, and with that accent and, and tone, oh, really. it's
1: beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful.
0: Hopefully, I sound a bit better today. I'm not in a bathtub today.
1: You do. You got a fancy new microphone. Go on. I turn. have. Yeah, you sound amazing. My, my,
0: my Yeti. So hopefully, oh, check you out with Yeti.
1: Yeah, I, I want a Yeti. Yeti now. There's not even a sock on your Yeti. No,
0: no sock required. <laughs>
1: So good week.
0: Yeah, good. I watched Archive last night on Amazon Prime, which was very good. It had Theo James, who was from the Divergent Insurgent. I can't remember which one it starts. Divergent with
1: Insurgent. I know what you mean. Like it all just like merges into yeah. one, doesn't it? <laughs>
0: And it had Stacey, uh, Martin, Rona, Mitra as well in it. And it's basically about this guy who has a car crash with his wife. And and then he kind of tries to recreate her as a robot, basically. And he's a robotics engineer of some sort. So it was good. I would say it was probably better than if it's on a similar par as Synchronic. Okay. I think I think it's better. And also, I think on Netflix, there's been a film called I Am Mother, kind of similar ilk to that as well. So a couple of sci-fi films for you to watch.
1: Lovely, lovely. Well, I haven't really got much to report. I feel like I'm letting myself down in the film watching stakes. You've been busy,
0: length. haven't
1: you? Well, I always feel like I'm busy, but I don't really know why. Well, everyone's mm. busy. Even though everyone's yeah. kind of locked at home, you're still busy. I still haven't watched any more episodes of WandaVision.
0: No, I didn't either. I'm still a bit like, "Mm, do I want to watch it? I know it's got really good ratings on IMDb. I think it's like eight point something on IMDb. So it must be good. But the first episode was like, not my cup of tea, but maybe I should give the second episode a go.
1: Everyone says you've got to get past episode three, Mm -hmm. because so many people have a similar view as you. At least stick with it till three or four. And apparently then that's when it Goes it's up a gear got- and that's when it starts to all make sense and all that kind of stuff. So gotta stick with it.
0: It's got a very much I love Lucy feel to it right now. And I don't know whether that changes going forward. I hope it does change. It does. Because- the first
1: the first two episodes are homages to two very specific Right. Yeah. It's the same with episode two, but it's a it's a homage mm. to a different TV okay. series. Um,
0: maybe I'll give it a go at the weekend. But it is then. so
1: unique for that. That's why I'm a little bit mm. intrigued. So I'm all yep. for like Marvel trying to do new stuff with what we're used to seeing with the films that we've been bombarded with over the last decade or so.
0: Yeah. So get ready to flex your brain cells. I was um, a bit rubbish last week and I didn't have any questions prepared and I made them up on the hop. These are kind of <laughs> similar actually, but uh, at least I've prepared them this time. I hope uh, are hope, you, I are hope, you ready, Rob?
1: I hope they're not harder. Are you ready, week. Rob? <laughs> I'm, no, I'm not. But I got, I did get... 3 out of 3 last week but I was a bit conscious that they were quite easy so I know you're going to throw some hard um, stuff at me now.
0: Not necessarily, not necessarily. Go on
1: then. Come on then, let's Go just get this then. over and done with.
0: So, first question. Are you ready? Yes. See, I can do this noise now better than my last one. Oh, I got a drum roll. Name me 3 films with numbers in the title. 7. Yep.
1: Uh, uh 13 Days Later. And, uh, oh, something days in the valley. Oh, um, okay. Eight mile.
0: Hey, Mar, brilliant. Good. Is that right? Three I probably would have given you 007 James Bond as well. Oh, Um, that's contentious, though. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
1: Lots with one in, I suppose.
0: Yeah, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Three Kings, and we can go (laughs) on. It's probably four Kings as well. Three three Men and a Baby. Right. Yes, exactly, yeah. Next question. Right. Then leads us nicely to our first film review. Put these films in order of release.
1: Okay, okay.
0: They're all Steven Spielberg films. Okay. So we've got E.T., Yep. Jaws.
1: Oh my God. Yeah.
0: Jurassic Park. Yeah. Close Encounters of the oh Third God, Kind. God,
1: is that it? <laughs> is, that, is it those four?
0: Those four. Can you remember them?
1: <laughs> so Jaws, E.T., Jurassic Park, and Close Encounters. Yeah.
0: That's right. Oh, Which came first?
1: I'm pretty sure that Jaws came first.
0: You are correct. 1975.
1: Then- so it's either Close Encounters or E.T. next. I'm going to go for E.T. Uh-uh. Oh, it was Close Encounters. It was. And it then 19, E.T.
0: and then 19, Jurassic 19, Park. Yeah. Ah! 1977, Close Encounters. E.T. 1982. Oh, Actually, wow. Probably, probably one of my first films. I was, I was pretty much a year younger than Drew Barrymore in this film, and I went to the cinema to watch it as well. I was um, a Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen Close
1: Encounters I haven't seen it, can you believe that? Uh,
0: Really? Oh, Mm. That's good And it's got the same guy that's in Jaws in that as well Richard Dreyfuss uh, Yes, exactly And Jurassic Park is in 1993 Which leads us on nicely to our first genre-picked film Which is Raiders of the Last Ark
1: I know What an absolute stonker is all I can say so I remember I got a message from you when I said that I'm mm-hmm. about to watch Raise the Lost Ark, and I think you said there's lots no. that you forgot. Exactly the same with me. There was a big chunks yeah. of this, especially especially the opening, bizarrely. Anyway, okay. I, I cool. can't even
0: remember when I watched it to be honest. No,
1: nor can no. I. It it wasn't at the cinema. I don't think it no. was on TV, but it was a long time ago. But it's one of those films that I think crops up every now and again on TV, and you just you know it's just on, so you watch. Mm-hmm. You watch bits of it and you remember the, I think you remember like the big set pieces, but you don't yeah. remember the whole, you know, the whole story. So, *Razor Lost Ark, this was released in 1981 and directed by Steven Spielberg. The screenplay is by Lawrence Kasdan, story by George Lucas and also credited to um, Philip Kaufman as well. So this stars Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, Ronald Lacey, John Rhys-Davies, and Denham Elliott. I mean, I know we'll come on to this later. It won four Academy Awards, Best Art Direction, yeah. Set Direction, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Effects, Visual Effects, and also got a Special Achievement Award. Interestingly, didn't win Best Picture or Best Director, even though it was nominated. I think Warren Beatty won Best Director for Reds, and Charles Fire won Best Picture. And we'll get on to the score but that was also beaten out by Van um, Geddes for um, chariots so fire as well. I thought this score was amazing. So set in the 1930s, and the whole premise here is that the US government have intercepted some intelligence that suggests that Adolf Hitler's Nazis have pinpointed a location in Egypt at the ancient city of Tanis, which is just under sand, where they believe is the secret resting place of the Ark of the Covenant, which is this sacred artifact which holds the Ten Commandments. The Nazis believe that whoever holds the covenant will become an invincible force, but they don't know it's also rumored that the art contains these supernatural destructive forces for whoever finds it. So the US enlists the help of American archaeologists, stroke university professor, stroke man of adventure, Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, to track it down first. So Indy travels to Nepal, where he first meets up with an old girlfriend, Marion, played by Karen Allen, who owns a bar in the mountains there. Uh, And he's there to claim off her this medallion, which is like, well, it's like a headpiece, but looks like a medallion with these ancient inscriptions on them, which, when put on top of the staff of Ra, will reveal the location of the Ark at the Nazis' excavation site, So Indy and Marion are themselves being hunted by this Gestapo agent, Major Tote, or Tot, played by Ronald Lacey, who's also after the headpiece. And he's also enlisted the services of Indy's rival archaeologist, Rene Belloc, played by Paul Freeman, who's leading the excavation. So Tote tracks them down to the bar, which ends up in flames, and Indy and Marion manage to escape with the headpiece to Cairo, where they unite with a guy called Salah, played by John Reese davis and he's like one of the country's most successful excavators. They discover that Belloc and his team are actually digging in the wrong place in the excavation site. So together, Indy, Marion, and Salah all head to the site to start to dig at the location where they believe it's located. So I don't think I need to probably say too much more than that. I mean, everybody knows this film, obviously, for this incredible character Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford's performance and the set pieces and the music and obviously you know I think this came off the back of Star Wars and when you think of iconic movie trilogies this is right up there isn't it and it's interesting mm-hmm. like I was when I was watching this film sometimes you discard these type for me anyway, you kind of discard in some ways these types of movies as ones that are just pure popcorn entertainment, which of course they are. Yeah, And you don't necessarily see them as, let's just say, you know, critically acclaimed films or films that really are just fantastic films in their own right. And when I was watching, it, I was really quite surprised at just how good the film is and, and how well I think it holds up. There was only really one piece of green screen or a couple of pieces of green screen that were used in this film. There was no computer effects back then. There's an incredible scene on this kind of rooftop terrace, which overlooks what's supposed to be Cairo, which is stunning. But they actually had to, they had to literally go around all of these different houses and take off the television aerials because... <laughs> They couldn't paint them out, you know. That that's <laughs> that's what they had to do in order to get the shot and make sure it was it felt of its time of this kind of 1930s period. And so I think for that, I, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of almost even more even more impressive. There's only two bits that I thought, okay, yeah, that's clearly green screen, and obviously bit at yeah. the end when the arc yeah. is revealed and you the see the scene, that's, you know, that's, that's obviously yeah. yeah. Um, so. Yes, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And that character is just incredible, in Anna Jones. I did delve into this film. I did watch a bit of a making of, which I found fascinating, but I'm going to hand straight over to you, Sarah. What did you think?
0: Thank you. So I loved it from the start to finish, I would say. Even though they were quite clever they, I think it's Paramount pictures isn't it and even at the start where they got the Paramount logo and it morphed into this, the mountains in the background and I thought that was really clever and yeah it was exciting right from the start uh, where you catch Indiana Jones doing some treasure hunting heading towards a temple and being chased by the, the natives there and Indy whipping his, his whip and swinging it around and you know, knocking guns out of baddies' hands and swinging over gaps in the caves and guess how much, guess how much Rob that whip cost at auction?
1: Oh wow! Okay, right. This is like kind of antiques roadshow. I'm going to say mm. I, I don't know. I'm going to say ten thousand
0: more. Forty-three thousand dollars at Christie's in 1993. Amazing, isn't it? How much you know these props cost? But you know, I'm not a big fan of spiders and all that sort of stuff. And I kind of have to get used to it, really, because as soon as he goes into one temple, he's like covered in, in tarantulas. Or, you know, when he's trying to go into the ark, there's like 7000 snakes down below. I didn't realise. I thought they're mainly rubber snakes and a couple slithering around. But nope, 7000 snakes. And uh, that's unbelievable. And apparently, one of the um, staff got bitten and it wouldn't let go. And they had to try and find ways to get it off. But anyway, I'm diverting in, in any Indiana Jones film. You're going to get these kind of creatures and, and rats and things like that as well. But um, that first scene, we get to meet a but played by Paul Freeman, as you rightly said earlier, and uh, he's really his nemesis throughout the whole film. Karen Allen, whose character was Marion She's quite tomboyish, really Tomboyish bar owner And I I don't remember her character being that kind of tomboyish at all And she could drink anyone under the table, really And she wasn't afraid, afraid of a fight, either Very ballsy And when we meet her and in, um, in the same scene where we meet the eerie Herr Tot in his sort of Gestapo jacket and everything, he's there to steal this treasure and she's trying to <laughs> pick a fight with him and like going, well, she's got these two massive bodyguards there. You're not going to win this one. And then Indiana Jones comes to the rescue and everything. And obviously Indy's always got some sort of tie to some of the ladies in Indiana Jones films. So, And I think the second one, which is The Temple of Doom, is actually Steven Spielberg's wife so and had five kids together. So anyway, actually, Herr Tot, interestingly, is a British actor and used to be in lots of TV shows. And he was also in The Last Crusade as Gestapo as well. So he does come back, even though he he may have had an awful ending in this, this one. And some of the other characters come back as well. I think Marion comes back in a latter Indiana Jones film as well. I felt a bit sorry for her though because they kept putting her in these strange dresses in awkward situations like she's about to be lowered into where there's a snake pit and uh, she's wearing a wedding style dress which Indy then rips it half of it off in a very manly way and then uh, she walks also through a desert in her negligee. She just keeps getting captured when whenever she's wearing these dresses or outfits that probably she shouldn't have been captured in. So I felt quite sorry for her. It must have been a bit demoralising for her really as a, as a female being surrounded by all these men and pretty much the only female on set and she was wearing all these slinky outfits so I, I didn't think that was quite right it shouldn't have been done in that way uh did you recognize the actor who played Salah Rob
1: yes I did he was um he was doctor also who, ah. Who, Salah ah sorry no I'm getting confused I'm talking ah. because, because also there was Alfred Molina who, who was in this a young Alfred Molina who played uh dr otto octavius in spider-man 2 which who yes. i also recognize yes. but no i didn't recognize Sarah. no i didn't recognize Sarah
0: yeah he, he played Gimli in um uh, lord of the rings series king of the dwarves we've seen a, a much younger version of him and he's very tall obviously in this one comparison to lord of the rings i love denham elliott he's such a charming man he plays dr marcus brody archaeologist a historian and lecturer. I love his character when I watched him in uh, as Coleman in Trading Places in 1983, and he's, he's played in three of the Indiana Jones films, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and, and passed away, unfortunately, uh, the year after Toy Soldiers in 1992, I believe it was. Uh, but uh, every single film he's in, he, he's, he's a charmer. And he was in uh, Room with a View, I believe, as well. So good to see him in, the, in this film. Harrison Ford, I believe, was about 40, 41. And I thought... That's quite a late starter to be starting the series of, of all the Indiana Jones films, to be honest. I know that he was in Star Wars in his 30s, but I thought he's actually quite a young man at heart, really, because I know 41's not a write-off or he's, he's, you know, he's still a young man, but he goes on to do his other films... much later and he's still bombing around and everything so he must be in his 70s now and yeah I was quite impressed by that and I'm surprised also with the Oscars so Spielberg, he got nominated for an Oscars and I know you mentioned this earlier but he's only had two for Save Private Ryan and Schindler's List and Harrison Ford has never won an Oscar he's only been nominated for an Oscar for his role in Witness and he lost out to William Hurt in The Kiss of a Spider Woman which I've not seen before so I'm shocked that these such famous directors and actors have not won anything before
1: Scorsese only, he's, oh, yes, he's he only he won one recently and same with yeah, same with DiCaprio kind of had to wait a while I think it's the same yeah. with a lot of these actors I'm not sure whether Ford will ever win one though unless he gets a really good part as you know as a kind of more aging actor mm. because I think one of the reasons he's not really won an Oscar because he's always typically played the the action hero. That that's what he's mm. best known for, and, and they don't tend to give awards for the you know the acting in those types of films. Mm. So I feel like you know whenever he's tried to take on a far more meaty serious role, in all honesty, I don't think it's fair particularly well. So mm. I wonder whether that's almost his success in some ways is his downfall when it comes to the Oscars. But yeah. I hope he gets one. It's like he sh- yeah not It's like you feel he deserves one for what he's given uh-huh. Hollywood. Yeah,
0: he's had to get a, if he hasn't already had. Lifetime Achievement Award. I would have thought as well. Actually, the first film that I saw that was sort of action and adventure was Heath Ledger. That's the first one I know in Oscar terms who won Best Actor, didn't he? It's The Joker, and that's we probably haven't seen any other action heroes or baddies like that in those sort of films win anything before. So, say so that's probably the first one. Anyway, uh, John Williams' his music is fantastic, and I've had his music in my head ever since I've watched the film. I'd be surprised if someone doesn't know. John Williams tune To be honest He's done the score For Star Wars Indiana Jones All of them Harry Potter Most Spielberg films Including Jurassic Park As well He's even done Superman as well and War of the Worlds, and he's fantastic. I think he won about four or five Oscars himself as well. You were going to comment on on the music side, weren't you?
1: Oh, well, I just thought it was superb. It's easy to take it for granted, and John Williams does have a kind of classic style. There were times when I could almost hear echoes of some of the Star Wars score. Yeah, it it just screams John Williams, but I just thought it was brilliant, the score, Mm. and how, you know, not just in the big action sequences, even in the quieter Mm. moments, it was just so epic. It just fitted the film so perfectly.
0: And I remember we spoke when we watched Empire of the Sun, there were some elements of Indiana Jones music in, in within that even um, in a much more sort of serious drama. So, yeah, no, he is fantastic. So this whole film is adventurous. It's it's a PG on Sky. However, there is kind of a brutal ending at the end. And they did try to soften that piece because they didn't want it. They wanted it to be really for all. But it, there is that brutal ending. So be careful if you if you are watching with kids. There is, is that ending. It has aged a little tiny bit. I would say on the special effects. I know there was very minimal special effects. But we're talking about a forty, nearly forty year old film here, and there were a couple of continuity issues. As well. So, the Well of the Soul sequence um, was filmed actually on the set previously used as the Outlook Hotel. We, we may remember when we recorded the review for The Shining in nine, that was released in 1980. So, they used exactly the same sequence for that, for the ghostly kind of characters uh, on this film as well. But that's the bit that looked Dated a little bit To what you would get As special effects As of today 18 million to make However this was actually Would have been a lot more If it wasn't for George Lucas Offering to have a cut And 40% of the takings Good man He's done well I think And especially As at the time It made 389 million dollars Worldwide gross But this film gets Replayed over and over again On all the TV channels These days as well So you must be Raking it in On just this one So I've waffled (laughs) I would say. So, Rob, have you got any further thoughts before I give my rating?
1: I was just really fascinated to learn about the origins of the film because Hmm. when George Lucas was conceiving Star Wars, he had had two stories in mind. One was this swashbuckling space adventure and the other one was Indiana Jones. To the point they even had the character, the artwork and costume, everything of Indiana Jones on paper. And it was almost like, which one am I going to do? And he decided to do Star Wars. And so effectively, even before Star Wars, Indiana Jones had already been kind of imagined. And so he basically just put it on the shelf. And then once he'd done Star Wars, and he was, of, he was good friends with Spielberg, and apparently they used to hang out together quite a lot. And they, in, in conversation one time, Spielberg said he wanted to do like a James Bond style picture. And Lucas said, well, I've got the perfect thing for you. It's better than James Bond. And and he basically showed him the Indiana Jones, by which point it was pretty well fleshed out character-wise. And that's how it all came about. And it was always supposed to be this kind of homage to 1930s matinee movies. And it was supposed to almost have this kind of, almost comic book kind of feel to it. And Spielberg was really interested in doing it because Lucas managed to get Paramount on board on the basis that it wasn't going to cost a lot of money. He was going to do it very much to a tight budget, you know, rough and ready, just get the shots done and move on. It was supposed... And, and Spielberg saw that as a real challenge. He liked the idea of being tested to to basically mm. shoot a film in a very quick, methodical, efficient manner. And so I just think it's really interesting that, like, it you know, Indiana Jones was could have been, you know, could have been potentially made rather than Star Wars. I just thought that was really fascinating. And there also because Lucas had been obviously been making Star Wars, they were reluctant to cast Harrison Ford because Lucas didn't want to be seen to like he doesn't he didn't want Ford to be his like De Niro actor in all his films. (laughs) And (laughs) Selleck was going to get the role, Tom Selleck, but because of Mac yeah, there's a the natural fact you'll find it on YouTube. There's a um, there's actually a casting reel of Selleck with Sean Young doing the scene of of them in the bar, and they wanted Selleck, but at the last mm. minute Magnum got greenlit, and obviously he had then had the commitment with Magnum, and that's why yeah. they were that's why they went back to Harrison Ford. You and know also- Tom
0: Selleck, would, he would have been good <clears throat> as well, I think he's got that kind of character, and he's he's but I would have thought. He's quite jokey, isn't he? I know Magnum PI is a bit of a comedy sort of drama, isn't it? Really, but see, yeah, I can see him playing that part. But I thought Harrison Ford did it very well. Yeah,
1: exactly. When I when you watch the the real, the casting reel, mm. you, you still can't really see how it could have ever been better than than what um, no. Harrison Ford did. But they, interestingly, mm. they because of Star Wars and a lot of the cast and the sets were the same as the Star Wars sets. So the Elstree set that they used was chosen over Pinewood because they'd filmed Star Wars at Elstree. They didn't shoot in Egypt. They shot in Tunisia, because they didn't need to show the pyramids or anything. They just needed to show what looked like Egypt. So they shot in Tunisia. So the scene where Harrison Ford comes down with like the, like the rocket launcher from the cliffs in that canyon, that's the same canyon where R2-D2 is set upon by the Jawas in uh, Star Wars, exactly the same location. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, Isn't and also... there's some
0: writing somewhere as well on the, behind them. Is that what you're going to say?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, in the excavation, there's a specific scene where he's down. I think I can't remember what scene it is, but anyway, that there, there is an R2D2 inscription. Yes, of, um, yes. So yeah. all these all these cute little things. That the snake scene. I mean, I have a massive phobia for snakes, so I I was actually quite fascinated <laughs> by the whole snakes thing. Yeah, you're right. Ten, it was nearly ten thousand snakes. Apparently, they all already-
0: Oh, I saw 7000
1: on the so they needed 7000 more so they ordered 2000 <gasps> but spielberg didn't realize that 2000 snakes doesn't actually look a lot on the specific, uh-huh. on the set they were filming so he was suddenly like this is not going to work because it's just you got all this space so he asked for another 7000 on top of the 2000 they were all non-venomous apart from the cobras that were brought in at the yeah. end. The guy was bitten. It wasn't by a cobra, but this guy was bitten. Apparently, very nonchalantly, someone said, just flip the tail. And so whilst this snake was had, was hanging on to this guy's thumb or something, someone literally got, got the tail and, and flipped it. And that kind of vibration basically went up the snake, and that was enough for it to let go, all these funny little stories. And if you look at the scene where Indiana Jones falls down, then you've got the cobra, the hooded cobra you can see a very, very slight reflection because obviously there was a glass screen in between him and the coach. Oh, was there? Uh,
0: I was because, wondering how they did that. Yeah, yeah. because they
1: were obviously proper... Cobras. And it's interesting.
0: I thought it it was perspective, actually. I thought maybe the cobra was nearer us and it was just a perspective kind of shot. No, yeah. Yeah.
1: And and it's interesting you were talking about the character of Marion. I suppose if you think back to 1982, her character, an actual fat, although. Yes, there are, of course, there are elements now when you watch where she just feels almost a bit of a a typical female lead without much meat to it. But in actual fact, she really liked the role because she did have that feisty part Mm. to her. Mm -hmm. But She did at one point find it really difficult that those scenes with all the snakes of course Indy had his boots on and she just had normal normal shoes and felt really exposed yeah
0: I felt sorry for her that was really bad
1: but that actual fact the scene where all the skeletons are all around her she said that oh
0: that was horrible yeah she
1: said that was that was a lot harder to film for her she said uh, rather than the snakes and luckily Harrison Ford himself didn't have any problem with snakes or rats or anything like that so he was quite happy just picking these snakes up. Horrible. And, um, no, I, I just, a bit like you, it was just, in, in terms of like a lesson in filmmaking, I just thought it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. It's like a blend of, it's got a bit of everything, the kind of globe trotting scenery you get. It's got it's a bit of James Bond in there, more of a kind of old-fashioned quality with this kind of archaeologist. And I forgot just how good Harrison Ford is in it. And I love the opening, as you say, that you don't see his face, do you? You only see the back of Indiana Jones as he's on this original expedition where yeah. you see that mountain. And on, on, on that point of the mountain being the same as in the Paramount logo, that was Spielberg's idea. And I think they were filming in Hawaii on one of the Hawaiian islands, and he basically just mm. decided that he wanted that. Called out one of the producers and said, look, find me a mountain in the same shape and apparently the producers were having to drive around this island <laughs> trying to find a mm-hmm. specific view that was going to work so a lot of these ideas were just off the top of his head and they just all kind of worked but george lucas and spielberg still cite this as a film where kind of just everything went to plan, you know what I mean? Everything that they envisaged turned out better. And apparently Spielberg can hardly watch any of his films, which I suppose is not surprising of any director, but he can hardly watch any of his films objectively, you know, without punching holes in it, as you probably would with your own creative work. But he said this is the only film or one of the only films he can kind of watch objectively, Mm. because... It all worked out as he wanted it to work out. Whereas if you contrast that to what went on with Jaws, for example, it can, you know, so on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I loved it way more than I thought I would. And yeah. I could, we could chat so much more about it. But um,
0: And, <laughs> um, you know, and... Um- what I find really interesting is that George Lucas has pretty much devoted his whole life to Star Wars and Indiana Jones. He's done short movies, he's done even Lego TV episodes, or been involved with those as well. So anything around those characters, he's always been involved. He's like the brand manager, I would say, for Indiana Jones and you know Han Solo and and Luke.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and you, you think of him and Lucasfilm. Obviously, you think of Lucasfilm mm-hmm. and Star Wars. And at the beginning of this film, you have Lucasfilm comes up. and like, so, oh, my God, you know, it's just like this is, mm. this is right off the back of Star huh. Wars. It's crazy yeah. how... You got this massive thing of Star Wars going on, and he's just—it's like he just gets together with a mate of his, Spielberg, and says, Look, "Do you want to do this Indiana Jones thing? I think it could be quite good." <laughs> it's just like, wow, talking about two movie franchises. That I mean, there's an Indiana Jones slated for 2022 with Harrison Ford in it. I mean, I—I mm. I mean, I think we all know that after the last Crusade with Sean Connery, there what was it? There was another one. with the, the Christmas
0: another one. Oh, the, I can't. Shia LaBeouf
1: it's like all these things you kind of feel like they're flogging a dead horse once they got past the fourth one so yeah, you can't i yeah. I prefer if they just just called it a day really but it's impossible when you get these successful franchises anyway should we give some ratings
0: I'm going to give it a nine and a half, which is like really being very, very stingy. (laughs) I (laughs) I
1: don't think that's stingy at all.
0: Nine, nine and a half, simply because I don't think it's deserved of a 10 because there were some continuity issues. And there were also, there's a little bit of dated scenes as well, but generally a really good watch. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give it nine and a half as well, and for exactly the yeah, same reason. I thought
0: you were going to give it ten.
1: No, nah, there were a couple of scenes that I thought looked like they didn't quite date as well mm-hmm. as the rest mm-hmm. of it. There was a scene when Indy and Marion stood together and you've got this nighttime scene behind them, like the stars that stood out a little bit. And then, of course, you yeah, the whole supernatural thing or the ghost coming out of the Covenant. But like you say, crikey, it's 1982. But, but still, if you watch a film, I suppose if you take something like The Shining, you'd watch that now. There's no effects that jump out no. of you and you'd think, oh, that's not very, that's not very good today. But because there was just a couple of scenes, that's the only reason no, it's not going to get a 10. But crikey, nine mm. and a half. I never thought I'd give it nine and a half when we picked this film.
0: Brilliant Scores. Next film is White Tiger. You can watch it today on Netflix. It's our new film of the week, directed by Ramin Barani. And he has also written and directed Treadstone and Fahrenheit 451. It's also written by the director and it's based on the book by Aravind Adiga. Uh, The main stars are Ardish Kaurav, who plays Balram. We've got Rajkumar Rao, who is Ashok, and Priyanka Chopra, who plays Pinky. And they're the main characters really in this film. I mean, Balram narrates throughout the whole thing and it reminded me of The Life of Pi, actually, the narrator in that. And it's based on classism in India. The film starts with Balram as a poor villager living with his family, earning money by breaking rocks, reminds me of the kid in the line. And eventually his um, brother and him run a small Cafe in, in the next village One day Ashok visits his family as Poor villagers as well However he is now living In the US with his wife Pinky And they are pretty rich really And they're visiting just for a few months And they're not, they're not staying really um, They're just popping by to meet with the family Bowram sees Ashok and then hears that they're looking for a driver for him and during a stay and they were using his father's family driver on, on that particular day so Balram manages to convince his grandmother who is the leader of the family she's like the mafia lord <laughs> in this poor village and she's kind of become that because of Balram's father's death really he needs to have driving lessons um, so he goes off and does that and she pays for it but in return she wants him to give her, his earnings from any work that he picks up. So he goes to Delhi and does all that, and uh, with his charm, he earns himself the job to work for Ashok. And Ashok and Pinky are uh, become friends with him. Eventually, I, they kind of feel a bit sorry for him, really. Ashok's father, Mongoose, who's Ashok's brother, are absolutely horrible and treat him really badly, pushing him around, etc. They even have a situation with Baram takes the fall for a hit and run incident there's also another side there's the president of india comes to visit ashok's family's house and really what they're doing is actually avoiding taxes and they're paying this woman and her constituency money so that they can do more marketing and all sorts with the money that they're providing She comes from a poor background and sees how they're treating Bowram and then they seem to fall out Or there and then. And in order to avoid repaying their taxes, the family then start paying the the ladies opposition in hope that there'll be a new minister that they can control instead going forward. Bowram is very aware of the money being taken to the opposition and wants to steal it. And you can see him one minute saying... In his mind, I want to beat this person up and steal his money and stuff like that. And when actually he's not saying that at all. And we later really find out how he gets his comeuppance on the family and potentially detrimental to his own. I'm going to leave it there. Rob, what do you think?
1: I thought it was really impressive. Um, I thought it looked really stylish and a really kind of handsome film. I think it had a real energy about it and... I think the most interesting part was seeing, I suppose, what was this almost dark satire on the whole culture of servitude and class in India. You know, you got Balram from effectively, you know, low class and yeah. he's desperate to make it out of there and be this entrepreneur. Yeah. And he sees this opportunity as a driver for the high class as a way to to do that but his loyalty or his blinkered view that he must make his master happy at all costs as it were eventually Mm -hmm. causes this trigger in his head to effectively take on this role of the white tiger the white tiger's this incredibly rare animal that is born once every, every you know and he's representative of that himself and I think it's interesting that he's caught between these two worlds in so much as you've got his family and his mother, who's only really interested in the money that he's sends her and that's her motivation for paying for the driving lessons and helping him to get the job he got. And then you've got Ashok and Pinky, who he thinks have his back, who who he thinks are sympathetic to him and almost friends, even though he's working for them as a driver. But every time he thinks that, he gets that shock and it's thrown back in his face. And obviously the big event in this where he takes the full for this accident, only for it to be thrown back in his face. I I just think it's interesting that his only way out of this is him having to just say, right, enough's enough. And he ends up having to take a slightly more spurious and, I suppose, illegal route, as it were, to get out of this mess and, and get to where he wants to go. I thought the central performance from Adarsh Gurav, I thought was fantastic. He had that real presence. He had this face... He, had, you know, he had, he had smile. this smile yeah, precisely. He had, this smile he had yeah. a smile that was amazing because sometimes the smile is a genuine smile. And sometimes you could tell behind the smile, it was, there was so much angst behind mm. it. I thought mm. it was real, quite a nuanced performance. And, and the narration for what I think, as I said before, feels this almost like this epic biopic. I think the narrative really helped that you had this narration and you were always in mm. his head. And yeah. yeah, I just thought it was, I thought it was a really good film. I mean, Following up from Synchronic that we watched last week, when you go into these films with, I suppose, not huge expectations, because it's not a world now when we're going to the cinema. For me, it was obviously a league above that, wasn't it? I really, really liked it. And again, it's just interesting to watch a film that is of the mainstream, but it is a film, obviously, which is very much, you know, with its roots
0: mm. in India
1: and the cast, you know, and, and it gives you a little window into that world. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. I'd really recommend it.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't describe earlier why the film is called White Tiger as well. Uh, it starts off actually at the beginning, you learn quite early on um, the name, The White Tiger, because it's when Balram's at school and there's this this headmaster, I think, or somebody there that's uh, testing the kids on how intellectual they are and to potentially sponsor them for their education and things like that. and. They ask a question to one kid and and then this guy says, oh, you're not teaching these kids very well. And then Balram steps up and starts talking in a very intellectual way. And he then gets called the white tiger by this gentleman. But unfortunately, he was not going to pay for his improved education or college education years or anything like that. So that was a disappointment to Balram. But he was came across all the time as very intellectual. He always said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I am an entrepreneur. That came up quite a lot in his narrating as well. But I, I love Balram. I thought the character was so smiley, bouncy. He just took a lot of rubbish thrown at him as well he was horrible situations on occasions and and he just sucked it up and just got on with it and it was shocking to see some of that classism or classist attitude in india as well And i know you get it here as well in the uk but it's it's extra extra differentiated in india i would say
1: i also like the fact that right from the beginning you know we know that we're seeing him you know, looking back and telling a story through this email that he's he's mm. writing to the Chinese um, president, I think.
0: Yes, and, that's right, and I didn't quite get that at the start. Well, Yes, yeah, an exactly, and, he,
1: and I think yeah. that's what makes it intriguing because it's almost like, okay, we know mm. that he, we know that he's kind of we're assuming that you know from his surroundings in his in his apartment that you can tell that mm. he's well, he must have made it, but you don't really know how. Yeah. And I yeah. feel that I thought that was enough to really keep you intrigued on how he got from mm. where the story starts to where we finish.
0: I thought it was going to be a spy or something like that because he was saying how entrepreneurial he was and then he was writing to the the Chinese president or prime minister and and then he was updating him regularly. And I was thinking, and he's got this connection with the president in India and I was like, is he going to be a spy or something? Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It is, I've just owning a really
0: successful taxi company. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Priyanka Chopra um, produced this film actually and you may have seen her in some other Netflix films. Isn't it romantic? And also We Can Be Heroes. So she's doing some of like what Joseph Gordon-Levitt is doing as well, doing some Netflix uh, films. And she was probably first on the scene with Baywatch and she's done voiceover for Planes as well. I think this is her first noteworthy film. She's married to Nick Jonas, Which she's also famous for But she probably doesn't want to be famous for that She probably wants to be famous for her talents She's a talented singer as well And she's been a Miss World also And she's very smart She studied to be a software engineer Or a criminal psychologist She's a smart cookie And I think she's got a lot more to come And actually has five more films coming up And one of them is... The Matrix 4. So that'll be really exciting to see her in that with Keanu Reeves. And apparently Neil Patrick Harris is going to be in it with, um, and bringing Carrie-Anne Moss back as well. And Jada Pinkett Smith in it as well. So yeah, all good. And Ardish Garav, this is his big first break, I would say. He's performed for 10 years, but none of the films have really made it that big. And this film is certainly getting a lot of attention by the critics. So I think it was excellent and definitely a gem of a film to watch really. And the only thing I would say is I would have liked to have seen him make his millions a bit more. There was a long stint of him in poverty and being a servant, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, there was. I I suppose the message there is that a lot of these people don't even make it and it's super, Mm -hmm. super hard to get to where he got to. And even though the end result is not necessarily him with millions and billions of as some kind of incredible tech entrepreneur that you might expect, he's still a success in terms of what he wanted to achieve. It's just an interesting story to how he got there and not obviously as straightforward as he thought it would be. And it's, it's just a fascinating journey.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. What are you going to give it then, Rob?
1: I'm going to give this eight out of 10.
0: Good. I'm going to give it nine out of ten. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a real gem of a film. So and great to see some new actors. And yeah, I just loved the whole style of it. Really, and the acting was brilliant.
1: Cool, cool, cool. Right.
0: right. So the new film for this week is. Oh, that was my. Did you hear my tummy rumble there? I
1: thought. I thought that was. Was that yours? I thought that was mine for a minute there. <laughs> I say, you what it's, your fancy, your fancy, it? your fancy new mic did pick that up. That just <laughs> <laughs> that just shows the quality of this new microphone.
0: Ah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry. It's dinner time. It, it filters <laughs> out. It noise.
1: filters out some noise, but it must have detected that was an important piece of audio that it needed to pick up.
0: <laughs> At least there was nothing else. It was a tummy rumble.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, this. <laughs> everybody's waiting to know what the film is this week
1: let's <laughs> so get it out you can don't film. worry you can eat soon you can eat soon sarah
0: i'm, doing... <laughs> I'm hungry, I'm <laughs> hungry. All right. anyway, a promising young woman is the film that we're going to review for this week it's released on the 12th of february it's on sky box office amazon prime video and virgin media store and the write-up is
1: a young woman Traumatized by a tragic event in her past, seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. And this is starring Kerry Mulligan in what seems like a potential Oscar nominated yeah. or even Oscar winning performance. So it looks super intriguing. I've just literally watched It looks
0: the cool tra- the trailer. The yeah, trailer you know, I, cool.
1: I watched the trailer again just before we did this and uh I didn't watch all of it because I didn't want to give too I didn't want to give too much away to myself. But yeah, it looks really really intriguing.
0: You're going to watch it together again?
1: I think so. Why not?
0: Excellent. Excellent news. Right. That leads us on to our genre film. I think you're picking from mine this, this week. What's your genre then, Rob?
1: The genre is Western. Western.
0: Right. So I have five Westerns.
1: Not very many. She's not a big Western fan, ladies and gentlemen.
0: i was saying that I've given quite good ratings yeah. to some Westerns, like yeah. The Revenant, I gave probably nine and, or something.
1: And Good, or Bad, and the Ugly, and Butch Cassidy. Uh, mm. well, they were all good films. Okay, so you've got five. I will go for number three.
0: Number three is Dances with Wolves. Oh well I-, I I can't remember the music at all. I'm sorry. I, uh,
1: this is a hu- <laughs> this is a huge favourite of mine. Of course we only had JFK a few weeks ago. I mean this was It's, it's
0: the Kev again, isn't
1: it? It's the Kev, it's the Kev Costner. And I mean it is a bit of a long film. It's an epic. It, it is quite literally an epic. It's three hours. But yeah, swept the board at the Oscars. This is a maze ball. So Lieutenant John Dunbar, assigned to a remote Western Civil War outpost, befriends wolves and Indians, making him an intolerable aberration in the military. And where can we watch this one, Sarah?
0: You can watch it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's streaming at the moment. And actually, it's a rare occurrence that it streams On Amazon Prime Because we've looked at this a few times And it's not been anywhere So catch it while you can On Amazon Prime Or If you haven't got Amazon Prime Take a look at Channel 5 Or on Is it On Demand 5 or On 5 They're On Demand Channel For Channel 5 anyway They will have it Potentially as well Because it was showing over Christmas And I caught a snippet of it And it was Yes it's good It's a good film Yeah Fantastic Wow a bit of Kev
1: A bit of Kev and a bit of Kerry (laughs) (laughs)
0: good have a great week rob and thank you very much to our listeners for listening again and uh, stay tuned on our facebook site if you look up two small cokes you will find us all righty i will see you next week thank you very much take care bye bye